Probably many of you know that during the mornings, during the week, I have the wonderful privilege of watching my two precious little ones, Camden and Acadia. Have any of you ever met them before? (laughs) I think most of you have. But Camille, my dear wife, as she is working in the morning from about 7 to 10 every morning, I get to watch the kids. And it's a privilege, although sometimes, as you know, if you've been a parent before, it can be a little frustrating, yes? You know, where Camden doesn't want to eat what he's supposed to eat, Acadia is squirming when I'm trying to change her diaper and so forth, and so after three hours, I get a little tired. And so when the three hours draws to a close, I see, why do I see ladies smiling mostly? But when the three hours is over, I say, man, I put in a hard day's work of parenting. Amen. Amen. (laughs) And on the occasion, after the three hours is over, Camille sometimes will say, well, now I need to take a shower. And what do you think that, what do you think happens in my heart as a result? (laughs) Or she says, you know, I'd just like to go for a quick walk around the block, get my exercise in for the day. And I think to myself, this is what I think, I'm just being honest with you, I think to myself, but I have just put in three hours, I now deserve a break. I deserve a break. Have any of you ever felt entitled before? Have any of you ever felt like you deserve something? Maybe you've had a long week of work and you've been so good, and so at the end of the week, I deserve to be able to pig out, or I deserve to be able to go shopping. I deserve to be able to buy myself something because I've been so good this week. Unfortunately, too many of us, too many times, feel like we are entitled. You know, we see that going on in the in the uh, political world today. We always see it going on, but it's, it's never more fully recognized than what, and I'm not trying to get political here, but people who are protesting certain, certain economic uh, institutions feel like we graduated, we spent all this money to go to college, we now deserve a job. We deserve it. You need to give us one. Well, Too many of us feel entitled. Same goes for the people on the other side of the fence. We've gone through all this work. You have our brain power. We're brilliant people. We deserve to make $100 million a year. We deserve to keep all of it. I think perhaps one of the biggest problems we have in this world is we are ungrateful. I want you to open the pages of your Bibles, if you have them this morning, to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. As we are going through Romans for our prayer meeting, which happens every Wednesday evening at 645, right here in this wonderful building, I'd invite you to come. We have a very, very blessed time together. Right now, we're going through the book of Romans. We're going... Uh, verse by verse, and spending a few minutes here, spending a few minutes there, talking about what the Lord shared with the Apostle Paul. But a few weeks ago, as we were reading this, this particular line jumped out at me. 
Notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 18. We'll get through a few things before we get to the punchline. But notice what Paul writes. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What Paul is here saying is that everybody in the world has been able to see on some level the truth about God. No matter where you live, where you're born, where you presently reside, everybody has been able to see on some level the attributes of God, whether it's through nature, whether it's through somebody sharing it by mouth, whether it's you reading it in a book, everybody is without excuse because there is, there is some level at which God has spoken to us. So notice what Paul goes on to say in verse 21. Because, notice this, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, and notice the next three words now, nor were what? thankful. We're uh, coming up to Thanksgiving here, aren't we? Another, what, five days? My, my dear wife and I and my, my, our two kids will be going over to New Hampshire with about 30 of us, as we do most years at my aunt and uncle's house. We'll have a very, very wonderful time. And we're all thankful this time of year, aren't we? What, happened, what would happen, though, if we were thankful every day of the year? Because here's the key. Here's the key. The reason why so many of us feel like we are entitled to more than we are presently getting, the reason you and I feel like we deserve better is because we don't understand where we should be right now. You have it in your study guide. I hope you got one. Anyone not get a study guide this morning? We're going to take a look. All right. Do we have any extras? Anybody know where there's some extras? Um, you have an extra there? Okay, here you go, Silas. Should be in there somewhere. But the, as I've been thinking about this, how much of my life is consumed with the idea, whether subtly or cognitively, whether I recognize it or not, how much of my life is, is a reflection of the fact that I feel like I deserve more than I'm getting? How much of my life does not recognize the fact that God has given me a gift and I really don't deserve anything beyond that. Notice this little formula here. I, I put this in the study guide. Anybody else? Miranda needs one up here. All right. Notice this little formula. Formula for gratitude. All right. The formula for gratitude. Notice this. Realizing where one should be versus where one is. All right, let me read that again. The formula for gratitude, the way that I can live life feeling like I don't deserve anything more, the way I can live life living in an experience of giving rather than taking is realizing where I should be versus where I am. What do you mean by this, you're wondering? Well, let's go to Romans chapter 6.23. This is where we should be. Turn over a few chapters to Romans 6.23. 
Romans 6.23. This is a very well-known passage to many Christians, but notice what Paul says here. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is death. Just a few chapters before, Paul makes it clear that all have what? Sinned. Everybody has sinned. Now, I know that's an unpopular thought to many people today. They say, call it anything but sin. You can call it a mistake. You can call it a character flaw. You can call it, I wasn't you know, held enough as a child. We all try to make lots of excuses. But Paul says, all have sinned. What I like to call sin is simply selfishness. We're all selfish people, aren't we? All of us. Now, I've, I, I was reading this past week something in the newspaper about a lady who was saying, you know, we're not all sinful people. We're all really, deep down inside, we're all good people. And if there's one Christian idea that cannot be disputed, it's the idea that there was such a thing as a first sin. Because everybody ever since has lived selfish lives. How much of your day is governed by selfishness? How much of your day is governed by, I'm trying to get something for me? How much of your day is trying to take rather than to give? And Paul says, all of us have sinned, and therefore the wages or the payment for that selfishness is what? Death. All of us deserve death. All of us right now should be six feet under the ground. Okay, that's the, that's the first part of the equation, where one should be versus where one is. Go now to our scripture reading, which was in John chapter 6, verse 33. John 6, verse 33. Notice what Jesus says here in the Gospel of John. John chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus says, if you have a Bible that has red letters for Jesus' words, that's, this one is in red letters. He says, For the bread of God is he, and it means Jesus, the bread of God is Jesus who comes down from heaven and does what? Gives life to only a few people, right? That's what it says. He gives life only to Christians, right? That's what it says, right? He gives life only to those who believe in him. No, Jesus says, it is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the, what? To the world. What Jesus is here saying is that your life is simply because of him giving it to you. All of us deserve to be dead right now, right? All of us deserve to be dead. You say, well, pastor, why is that? That seems very arbitrary. Why is it that we should be dead just because we make a, a, a wrong decision? Why is it that we should be dead just because we, we sin? Why, that seems very, very unfair. You know what happens when we sin? What we're doing is we are pulling ourselves away from the one who gives life. Jesus is the source of all life. And so when we choose to turn our backs on him... We're saying, I want to I control and run my own life. But the problem is, as Jesus already says right here, it is only through him that life comes. I like to ask people sometimes, and I'm going to do it right now, how about that? How many of you, anybody here, were, did any of you choose to be born? Anybody here, raise your hand nice and high. Anybody here, make that decision to be born. 
No, none of us. None of us, ha- none of us had any, any part in that decision. None of us had any part to play in that beautiful creation of life. It is only by God's grace that you and I are alive here right now because we should be non-existent. When you and I realize that, when we recognize that reality, what naturally happens and comes up in our hearts is a feeling of gratitude. And you know what? Anything else in life that we get is simply the cherry on top. Right? Anything else is simply icing on the cake. And we stop walking around feeling like we deserve something and we live a life expressed in gratitude instead. Because you know what? We have been given life. We have been given by God's grace existence. And so I want to pay forward the very gift that God has given to me. And so I'm looking to help people recognize that they too should live in gratitude to God. Notice this quotation here. This is a very, very powerful and provocative quotation even. This is one of my favorite authors by the name of E.J. Wagner. It's a little longer, but stick with me. Notice what he says. Every creature and every created thing springs from and depends upon who? God. Friends, you owe your existence right now to God. You did not choose to be born, and the second you sinned after you were born, you should have been, that would have been lights out. That's it. You're, you're separating yourself from the life source. But all of us depend upon God. Lucifer, now Satan, who originated sin, as well as men who followed Satan in the sin, depend upon God. Notice this. Depend upon God for the life with which the sin is committed. What do you think about that? You know, if you give somebody a gift and then they go on and abuse it, the very gift that you are abusing was provided for you by the gift giver. And so the very life that I am living and I'm sinning with is the life that God has given me. And it says that he gives life. It's an ongoing thing. God continues to give me life day by day by day. I heard one preacher say one time, if you think the alarm clock is what wakes you up in the morning, try bringing it to a funeral. It's not going to wake up that dead person. It is only God and God alone who gives life, not the alarm clock. Some of us don't want our alarm clocks. We want to throw them out the window, of course. But notice, the man who blasphemes God and denies his existence does so with the breath of life which God breathes into his nostrils. It was God's life that was perverted by Lucifer from its rightful use and employed for sin and rebellion. And there has, notice this, and there has never been a single sin committed except with the life of God. Wow, that is a profound idea. There has never been one single sin committed. There has never been one act of selfishness committed except that God has given that very life that is committing that sin. Notice what the author goes on to say. It is for this reason that God, in his infinite mercy and goodness, was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Reconciling how many people? Reconciling the world. God was drawing all of us in and bringing him into himself in Christ on the cross, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Friends? This is taken from 2 Corinthians 5.19. I've said this before, but for those who have not been here before, friends, God has not 
punished one single person for their sin. You know, sometimes we hear this, well, God is punishing this country, or God is punishing that country for their sin. The Bible says that God does not impute our sin to us. He does not hold it against us, because if God held our sin against us, you and I would be gone just like that in the very second we do it. But the Bible says that God does not hold our sins against us. You know, that has implications for the way that we live too, doesn't it? Do we live a life where we hold people's sins against them? Are we continuously holding grudges against people because they wronged me? Friends, if God, who has been perpetrated to a far greater extent by us, does not hold our sins against us, how much more so should we do that with our fellow human beings? The author goes on to say, Inasmuch as sin was committed with God's life, notice this, Inasmuch as sin was committed with God's life, although through no fault of God's, he assumed the responsibility for it and gave up his life in order to be freed from it, to demonstrate the fact that he has no complicity with it and to save all who will consent to die with him. What does that mean, Pastor, to die with him? It doesn't mean in a literal sense. It means, am I willing to have my selfishness laid at the altar? Am I willing to have my desires laid at the feet of Jesus? Because he actually, could it be that God in Jesus has accepted the responsibility for all the sin that has ever been committed? That's what the Bible teaches. When Jesus went there to the cross, when he went to the cross, He said, I am taking responsibility. It was my fault. All the years of sinning and selfishness. You say, well, why did he do this? Why did he do that? Because God values you. God values you. He sees infinite possibilities in your heart. He sees infinite possibilities in your life. He says, these people are precious to me. These people, they're my children. That's why he gives us life. He cares so much about us. And so he said, I am going to take the blame for the wrongdoing that they have done. You imagine the psychological trauma that was on the mind of Jesus as he was there on the cross. And he said, everything that everybody, anybody has ever done, that was a sin. I'm taking the blame for it. You know how it feels sometimes when you've done something wrong and you feel a little alienated from another person? You know how the guilt weighs down upon you? By God's grace, by the way. It's only by God's grace that you and I feel guilt because the minute we don't feel guilt, we're in a tough place, aren't we? God doesn't want us to hold on to that guilt, though, because he has already paid the price for that. And he has given us life. So you and I, when we recognize where we should be, meaning we should be dead right now, versus where we are, everything else is just icing on the cake. And you know, that all of a sudden helps me realize that when I watch my children for three hours, I can watch them for ten more minutes because I don't deserve anything else that is good. Anything good that could come my way is just extra. Because God has given me life. 
You know, there was a young man that the author Philip Yancey talks about in his book on prayer. This young man, you have his name there in your study guide, David Rothenberg, he has a remarkable story. When he was six years old, his father gave him sleeping pills, poured kerosene all over his body. Sorry to traumatize some of you. And he lit him on fire. Fortunately, he survived. 90% of his body was covered in third-degree burns. And this young man goes around sharing his testimony. He has a happy attitude. He's thankful. He's grateful. And Philip Yancey heard him speak at a convention one time, and somebody asked him, what is it? How is it? How on the earth can you live such a life of happiness? And this was his response. Notice in your study guide, he said, I am alive, I am alive, I am alive. I didn't miss out on living, and that is good enough for me. Wow. That kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? When you and I have things come our way that are not what we hoped they would be, when you and I get something that we feel we don't deserve, we can just put things in perspective and say to ourselves, you know what? What I deserve is non-existence. But God has given me life, and that is good enough for me. And I want to live my life in gratitude to Him. You know, many people, many Christians present this message that is in contrast to what we've been talking about. The message is, you've been a bad person, and if you want to live forever, you need to believe in Jesus. You know, there's a lot of truth to that. We do need to believe in Jesus. But such a presentation cannot and will not implant in our hearts a spirit and an attitude of gratitude. It can't. It can't because there's something we need to do first in order to get from God in return. But the Bible says, you know what? I have already, Jesus says, I have already given you something that you do not deserve. Never mind what may come in the future. I have already given you life which you do not deserve. And when we recognize where we should be versus where we are, Gratitude and thanksgiving and appreciation pour forth from our hearts. And guess what? We become pleasant people to live around. Wouldn't that be cool if people actually enjoyed living around us and near us and talking to us? Because God has changed our hearts from hearts of feeling like we deserve better than what we're getting to hearts that just are grateful for what we've already been given. I want that to be my experience. I don't know about you. I want that to be my walk, my attitude, my perspective on life. Because then when it is, I can pass that on to other people. And it becomes contagious. And people get excited to be around you. And they catch what you've caught, and that is an attitude of thanksgiving.